What's up, revelers and weirdos? Welcome to Scaring Sam, and we know the deal. I attempt to spook my fiance with horror, give a meaningful explanation why, and she questions why she wants to marry me. I'm your host, James Reese, aka that sweaty saxophone playing guy from The Lost Boys. What? AKA every scary perm on every actress in the 80s. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to your things when you say things like that. Well, let me paint you a picture then, darling. Darling, okay. <laughs> The year is 1982, a time when cinemas were still open. And what an outstanding lineup of blockbusters were on offer to see. Sound like I'm going, roll up, roll up. <laughs> Imagine heading to the cinema back then and seeing for the first time these amazing films on the big screen. E.T. Oh, yeah. Rocky Free. Okay. The Rafa Khan. Conan the Barbarian. First Blood. Tron. Creepshow. The Thing, Blade Runner, um, Sophie's Choice, and what? the subject of today's episode, Poltergeist. We literally can only dream of having that many incredible films come out in one year these days. Yeah, that was quite a long, a long list. I mean, we can only imagine actually seeing films in the cinema right now. That would be amazing. Yep. <laughs> it really would. Looks like we're not going to see Godzilla vs. Kong in a cinema. <sighs> well, it's meant to open in May, ready for my birthday. And hopefully we'll get to see Freaky as well at some point in the cinema, because it didn't come over here. It's like a horror version of Freaky Friday. Oh, okay. Okay, so what's the poker guys? What's the premise? Basically, the Freeling family in their new home have to deal with some ghostly activity, which... Their youngest daughter, Carol Ann, gets kidnapped and they have to get her back. That's basically the story. Yep, that kind of sums it up. And this one we kind of picked because we are searching for a house at the moment. You've probably heard us talk about it before and it's getting increasingly difficult. And this is just another thing to add to the list of things to worry about. Yes, getting a house and getting married at the same time. And not getting a house that's been built... <laughs> been built? On a burial ground. Ah, it's not a burial ground, is it? Not in this film. Cemetery. Yeah, cemetery. Because they just removed the headstones. Yeah, oh my God. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are, we are. Let's um, rewind. Yes. <laughs> so the film starts with patriotic American national anthem, which plays before static on TV because this is long before 24-7 TV for streaming services. Yeah, and I did actually question that, didn't I? I was like, why is this playing? <laughs> well, we didn't get over here. We got, for decades, Test Card F when nothing was being broadcast. Yeah. You know test, test Card F, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the little girl playing noughts and crosses with another creepy clown dough beside her. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, don't you? I do, yeah. yeah. So we don't. H get... Hasn't that been in another horror film? Or have I just imagined it being horrifying? <laughs> it, it was parodied non stop in God knows right, countless okay. sitcoms and you name it. Maybe, yeah, maybe I've seen something with it. 
because we're not that patriotic over here. We don't even celebrate St. George's Day in the UK. Can't celebrate a guy who slayed a dragon thousands of years ago. Well, we don't get a bank holiday when St. George's Day. I just want a bank holiday. I just want another <laughs> bank holiday. Of course you do. Turns out these static field TV screens are the portals into the spirit realm that first allows Carol Ann to communicate with the dead. Hence why the emphasis on all these TVs throughout this film. Mm. We follow the dog around the house looking for food, which turns out is a great device to introduce the family in an organic way. It's a good introduction. Uh, a good... Uh, <laughs> it's a good introductory scene though, isn't it? Because some, you, you just get this random character pop up and you're like, who's this? I think you get that a lot in more recent films where they don't take the time to yeah. like make the effort to introduce these characters. It's usually quite false. Like you've got mm. like a family member going, hey, Ken. You get all the characters' names. And for a while, don't think we even got to mention what these characters' names were. We just was introduced to where they were, what room they were located in. Yeah, but and from that you got that it's a family. Yeah, and it's quite an organic dynamic with this family as well. You know what I mean? How many times do you see like, the mum and dad smoking weed in their bedroom before going to bed. Mm. After this, you get these idyllic shots of suburban America. It's supposed to be nice and pristine and beautiful. You know, the American dream is what they, everyone aspires to. It's very white, white suburbia, because we see, like, the dad, Steve, introduce his friends around for beers and American football game. And they're all white. Mm. His neighbours, white. The kids on the street are white. Literally. There's no diversity at all. There's no diversity. Literally, Richard Lawson's Ryan, who's part of the paranormal investigation team, Mm. he is the only person of colour in this entire film. He's basically the token black guy. And you can tell, yeah, this is the 80s, isn't it? It's, But it's shocking nowadays, isn't it, to not see... A diverse cast. Especially Hollywood these days where they actively... Everything has to be diverse these days. I think it's in like TV show contracts now. They mm. constantly... Maybe not even in an organic way. They have to constantly aim for diversity now. And that's not the only thing which is a bit iffy with this film. At this point, and this is before all the paranormal stuff kicks in, you even got builders... Because this is what this is a new development, isn't it? Mm, yeah, brand new development. The Freeland family, they're, they were phase one. Yeah. He even mentions Steve, what is he, an estate agent? Yeah, he is. He's an estate agent working for the company who built this entire development yeah. project. And he's showing this couple around trying to sell this new property and he mentions that his family was the first to move in. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the reason why they were targeted. Possibly. What's my point? Oh, <laughs> so obviously there's still developments going around then they have these builders in the garden and they chat up their oldest daughter Dana and she's a teenager but she's she's young though yeah she looks like a teenager yeah I mean I think she even had like a school uniform on in this scene yeah yeah she does and it's got like these builders going like hey baby oh and god like... it was so cringy <laughs> I know especially like Right in front of the mum as well. Yeah, because she's and in the kitchen, And then she does isn't nothing. She? Oh, she get... oh, the mum doesn't do anything. No. I mean, Dana stands up for herself. Yeah, but what with this single? 
<laughs> looks like this whole up yours like yeah hand gesture yeah and then her mum's like oh well done no not oh well done it's like go kick those guys out of your garden kick well, them up the butt well like like lads that she's underage i mean not I've, even that like, we don't need to say that uh, no you don't need to say that but it's just not acceptable anyway Especially now, whatever whatever age you are, I'm really surprised that um, woke Koji hasn't tried to cancel this mm. film because of this scene. I mean, they try to cancel Revenge of the Nerds, although for legitimate reasons. But yeah, so she stands up for herself, and um, and then what happens next? You've got the youngest Carol Ann talking at the TV, mm. and oh, there's that thunderstorm. So they all huddle into the parents' bed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the static in the TV again. She goes up to start talking to it. And then oh. it's the first time you flinched. Yeah. When it's like the ghostly hand comes out of the TV. Yeah. And then boom, and all the like, energy shoots into the wall. Mm. And causes like this kind of earthquake which wakes everyone up. Carol Ann says the famous line. They're here. here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it at the same time, didn't I? <laughs> Freaky effect. And that's when things start to gradually, not even escalate. You've got just a couple oh, it, of paranormal yeah. activity going on. It's, I mean, it's very, very slow, gradual. I mean, what would you do if the chairs in the kitchen of our new home suddenly arranged themselves? I mean, I wouldn't be putting my child in the area where the chair's getting moved oh yeah because... oh yeah let's just put a helmet on her and um see if this um thing will move her uh no how about you get out the kitchen and don't play around with things yeah, it is because steve comes back from work and diane all day has been experimenting with his paranormal activity yeah. i mean first she jumps at the chairs arrange themselves on the table yeah. and then she has a well of a time for the rest of the day that must have been really hard to film because like, it's happened, like, what, in a few seconds? <laughs> yeah, the camera f- follows her looking, what, at the cupboard she, underneath the yeah, sink. Yeah, so she bends down, um, she's crouched down behind all the cupboards and then as soon as she stands up, all the chairs are on the table. And literally the crew had to arrange those chairs in a matter of seconds. Well, I think they were, like, glued together. So yeah. they just, like, picked them up and put them on the table and then, like, ducked behind where the camera couldn't see them. Oh, yeah, and there was another point where um, when there is, like, a storm or something, <laughs> the 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 kid, the boy, what's his name? Robbie. Robbie. Um, yeah, Robbie. So he covers the clown's face. <laughs> That's something that I would do as a kid, maybe even as an adult, actually. I know I don't like clowns, but that clown was freaky. Why would it be sitting on a chair staring at you? Yeah, because it's not on a stand or anything. It's literally it's a pull-out chair, isn't it? Yeah. And it's right by his can, bed. You can just tell something's going to happen with this clown. Like, <laughs> Because it's not even in the corner of the room. It's not on display anywhere. It's just like there's a chair by Robbie's bed Yeah. with a clown on it. And he, the first thing he does in the middle of the night when there's a fun storm, you look up, you're going to see this creepy clown that exactly. look at Exactly. Exactly. And also they have their curtains open. Yeah. Why are the curtains open? And also the mum. Oh, seriously. It's in, in the same scene, actually. She's putting them to bed and um, 
she's turning off the lights. The the little girl, what's her name? Carol Ann. Oh yeah, Carol Ann. Carol Ann. Yeah. 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 And the little girl, Carol Ann, she then says she wants a nightlight, and the mum turns on the light in the cupboard, and then shuts the cupboard like with a little gap, a couple of inches. Oh yeah, okay. Let's let's leave the cupboard open, yeah. All the monsters will get out. <laughs> yeah, it's where Michael Myers likes to hide. <laughs> exactly. Oh dear, but, I just had to get that off my chest. Of course, they have to have the window, the curtains open, because that's where you get to see the creepy tree. Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. never, I've never been afraid of a tree before. I mean, that's a stretch. Not even as I a kid. I think it's a common thing, though, isn't it, with the shadows and stuff, because shadows do play tricks it's cool something it's this stupid phenomenon i keep on forgetting the name of it starts with p and it's basically the brain seeing faces in everything yeah and of course all the little knobbly bits on the tree yeah well it's it's been made of like sort of faces in it Mm. but it doesn't look like a tree it looks fake Mm. as anything and on that point of the tree this is where things started This is where things started to escalate very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, so up until this point, it's just been like, I wouldn't even put it into a a horror film category. It was like just a... um, There's a disturbance. Yeah. I wouldn't put it into the horror category at this point. It's just kind of a, not even a drama. Like, there's nothing really horrifying about it. But then, all of a sudden... (laughs) Things are now happening. Not just things, literally over the course of one night. Exactly. There's another thunderstorm. Robbie's counting the amount of times there's lightning, see if it's getting further away. Yeah. What is it? All of a sudden, the tree bursts through the window. And eats him. Yeah. (laughs) It, 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 It develops hands that grab him and drag him outside. And starts to gobble him up. Yeah, literally. Yeah, because it has a mouth. Yeah. Oh, it becomes a possessed tree. Yeah. It's one thing arranging chairs and then possessing a tree. <laughs> but this is really just a ruse to get all the family out to rescue Robbie. Mm-hmm. So that the spirits, or is it just one spirit, we don't really know at this time, wants to abduct Carol Ann. Yeah. She's literally sucked into another dimension through the cupboard. Literally, like, what the fuck? Oh, oh, and at the same time, there's a tornado outside as well, which quickly deals with the tree mm-hmm. after they save Robbie. So, what? A tornado going on as well. So, do the spirits produce a tornado? Or is it just a really convenient coincidence? Maybe they control the weather. Or maybe it's, like, localised to this small little development. Exactly. Robbie is literally traumatised for life after this. For the rest of his life, by trees. He is never going to sign a petition to save the rainforest ever after this. <laughs> oh, they're cutting down the orangutans in Habitat for Palm Isle? Good. Fuck the trees. They tried to eat me when I was a child. I still have to go to therapy. Carol Ann is abducted. She's in the spirit realm. Okay, so you say this, but at first I thought... She's in the TV. They've, like, put her in the TV. <laughs> because that's the way that they start hearing her. Yeah, that's how she... they turn how... to a specific channel. Yeah, that's how she obviously communicates. They communicate through the static on TV. But Steve doesn't go to the police to report his missing daughter. 
Instead, he seeks out paranormal investigators at a university. Well, what would you do, James? Seriously, would you go to the police and be like, my child's vanished in thin air, my other child got nearly eaten by a tree? What are the police going to do? They're going to think that, well, maybe the parents have done something to her. Yeah, the social services are going to be called over. Exactly. (laughs) So that's why they haven't gone. So this paranormal investigation team, they explain the difference between a typical haunting and a poltergeist invading your home. Hauntings are localised to a place and poltergeists are drawn to an individual and tend to be short-term in duration. Like in real life, the Enfield poltergeist, which is bullshit, that's completely fabricated, but you've got the Bell Witch, the Black Monk, 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 it's not wine, the Black Monk of Pontifract, Borley Rectory, there's literally numerous accounts of poltergeist activity throughout history but none of them involve you know portals to the spirit realm and trees being possessed now the investigation is underway one of the investigators was it marty gets a bite taken out of him oh yeah with massive teeth though it's like his entire side is a mouth they seem to get brushed off very quickly he's like Hey, I think something bit me, and he pulled yeah. up his shirt, and it's like a like jaws has sunk his teeth. Yeah, and it. Robbie's just like, oh, yeah. Although, oh yeah, when like the investigators turn up, they're like going, oh, I, we watched it, we recorded this footage of something being dragged across the floor on a For prison seven hours yeah. or something. You wouldn't be able to detect it with your naked eye, but over recording, you could see it move. And Steve's like, uh huh, and unlocks the door, and it goes to having a rave in the room. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Have a look at this room. <laughs> and because of that, everyone is sleeping downstairs to avoid the room being commandeered by the spirits. This is at night, and this is when Marty has a serious case of the munchies. Oh, He's... yeah, I remember this bit. Hey, hey, Ryan, I'm just going to get something to eat. It's not anything. He, he get, pulls out a frying pan, he gets a big slab of steak out. I know! He's munching on a chicken drumstick. This is in like the middle of the night. It must be like 2am or something Was he smoking weed? I mean... I don't know. He's eating... Yeah, he's eating crisps, isn't he? And then he gets out um, crackers. And I'm like, okay, yeah, good snack. Okay. Carbs. And then this massive piece of meat just comes out. And I'm like, excuse me? You're going to wake up the entire house by cooking this slab of meat. <laughs> yeah, you don't get an opportunity, though, because the steak starts crawling along the workshop <laughs> before, like, erupting with all this disgusting-looking gristle and stuff out I mean, of it. It, it, it. To me, it kind of just looked like rotten meat was kind of starting to form out of it. Yeah, and then he spits out the drumstick because it's wriggled with maggots. Yeah. So he goes to wash his mouth out. Mm-hmm. That's when... That's when we get the random gory scene. Yeah, this like that, that's that's what I'm calling it. <laughs> this elaborately gory sight of him pulling clumps of flesh from his face and exposing his skull. And this is when I first realised that Toby Hooper is directing this film. Guy behind Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Salem's Lot. Before this, you can understand why there's all these rumours that really Steven Spielberg directed this film. We couldn't say anything because he was under contract because he was making E.T. at the time with some other studio. Oh, I see. Okay. But with a scene like this, you can see it's Toby Hooper behind the camera. Mm. And later on in that third act, you can definitely tell 
he's directing this film. Mm. But it's just such a stark contrast with the film that came before. Straight afterwards, you've got this fantastical moment where he's got this lady in white elegantly walking down the stairs and all these other spirits are flying past the camera. The whole scene is meant to be them looking in awe. It's not meant to be terrifying. What's Sam Neill's character in like Jurassic Park? Another Steven Spielberg film. It's it's just like that scene when they get onto the island and they first see the Brachiosaurus, the big dinosaur. Yeah. And they look on in awe. Yeah. And the music erupts. It's basically the same tone, this scene. Mm. And that's straight after this scene where this guy just basically pulled his face I off. I know, it's so random. And just like thinking about watching this when it first came out, that must have been horrifying. I mean, in today's terms, it's not gory. I mean, it's disgusting, but it's not realistic. No. And because I mean, there was like a cut scene and you've gone from a real face to not real face. It's like when they you got... You can clearly see it, but like just the thought of what he's going through. Then yeah, you see like the sound of like the meat quote onto the yeah. scene. And it, it reminds me of that scene like Terminator when it's like Arnie's like pulling out his fake eye mm. and it cuts and you can see it's this really fake head of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same. But the tone of it, the starkness of it, it kind of reminds me of like Back to the Future, again, another Spielberg produced film where in this nice wholesome fantasy film, you have Doc Brown being gunned down by, what is it, Lebanese terrorists or something. What? This is a kid's film, right? We just saw mm. someone murdered brutally. It's the same with this film. It feels like a, like an insert, like like reshoots. They went, this, this film's not gory enough. We need more horrifying moments. Yeah, we need to add a bit in. Yeah, we need, we need like somebody pulling his face off. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, we could do that. But yeah, so... We've now got this horrifying scene, but I'd just like to bring up that <laughs> throughout this, I've really, I somehow, like, I I don't know how, but I've really connected with the family. And at one point, I really felt my heartstrings, like, tug. Um, It just, like, it must be horrible. Like, my, my throat's, like, closed up just thinking about it. Just going through something like this... Yeah, I'm caring about the family. I'm invested in this family already. Like, it's really drawn me in. And um, I'm feeling their pain and their ter- terror, like searching for their little girl. I think that's um, Spielberg's influence. Yeah. Him writing the script. He, they, went, they went to great lengths to make you care about this family. Mm. We was introduced to them. We saw how... They worked, how they interacted with each other. You, they were made to feel real before there was any fantastical exactly. supernatural elements. Yeah. And then when we get to the point where, as you were saying, all the um, spirits are walking down the stairs, this is like the part where Diane, the mum, she then says she felt Caruan pass through her and that she could then smell her. Like, I really felt the emotion in that bit. Just, just made me sad. Like, does it make you sad? Well, no, I'm dead inside. But, <laughs> but I don't understand what you mean. Um, Joe Beth Williams really sells that scene mm. as this distraught mother who's holding on to hope that her daughter, despite 
literally being taken to the spirit realm is alive still. Mm. Hold on to hope that she is going to get her back. At this point, I like I didn't think, still didn't think it was a horror film. Um, aside from the guy pulling his face off, it felt more like a dramatic, traumatizing, heart wrenching story <laughs> about a family struggle to find their daughter, but sensing that she was still there somewhere. Don't you think that people go through this anyway? And that, and that maybe was the connection that when people do actually pass on. I'm not saying everyone feels this way, but I I definitely do, that I still feel a part of them here. And in that kind of way, maybe that's why I connected with with that with the family, that she is still there. They know she's still there. They can still hear her through the, the channel and she's saying that she can feel her and smell her. It's it's something that we want to we want that, don't we? Well, it's like when we smell a certain fragrance or something that invokes memories of our loved yeah, ones. It's the it same takes thing. You back, doesn't it? But it's also the same as like when people have missing children and they become cold cases and they never find these children. But even when it's like decades down the line, these parents still have hope that their children, even the slightest bit of hope that they're still out there somewhere. Mm. They hold on to that hope and it's the same here. The point where the family and the paranormal investigators are downstairs, they're all like whispering and stuff. And um, they're talking about the different spirits and how you'll get some that are lost and some that aren't finished with life, that they still think they're alive and you get some that are angry, etc., like the poltergeist that is in, in this film. And I just love the... Um, the boy's logic that he he thinks that the poltergeist could be some bullies that um stole some lunch money from him previously if they'd like got hit by a truck or something <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. i just <laughs> i love kids logic they're trying to just figure everything out and but that's also great writing that yeah. they could actually get into the kids mind and write this great bit of dialogue which just resonates mm, yeah yeah after this scene we're with steve's boss and he reveals phase five of the the development is about to start which requires the relocation of the local cemetery which apparently they've done before i guess in the 70s yeah and but he yeah, this is what i thought funny he stresses it's not an ancient burial ground just people so Clearly, already by 1982, this gimmick of the ancient burial ground called mm. somebody's hauntings is already worn thin. Mm. But it's also a little sly wink of like, okay, mm, maybe this has happened before. Yeah, so all the, the houses are built on the cemetery. Yeah, it must be a massive cemetery. Yeah, but that's then why. So when um, the portal was opened and all those watches come through... Oh, yeah, there was all these, like... Do you remember that bit? Like, trinkets and old yeah. coins. Yeah, and and the um, the lady was saying, like, oh, this one's only, like, a few years old. Oh, this one's 100 years old. Oh, yes, that's because it's on a cemetery. Everything makes sense now. <laughs> well, how do they get away with this? Who did they employ to, like, shift all the tombstones? Because they're relocating the tombstones. Who did this without anyone questioning it? 
Because this must oh, be in yeah. an extensive cemetery. It yeah. must have been... Because this is phase five of the development. This is a massive suburban area. Or maybe it's just like cemeteries here where the Freelands house was built and then there's just this cemetery up on the hill. Mm. Hence why not everyone's getting haunted. Anyway, this is where the medium is brought in. Mm. Played by Zelda Robenstein. What's her name? Tangina. I don't know. Did they I mean, say you're that? coming out with everyone's names. I can't remember their names. I connected with the family, but don't know their names. <laughs> well, she's brought in and she basically, she's basically Madam Exposition because she reveals that there's an evil presence that's holding Carol Anne and keeping the other ghosts trapped or something. Yeah. Like keeping them trapped in place. But she calls it the Beast. Which is exactly what it is, though, isn't it? But the Beast is usually the devil, so... Is the devil holding Carol Ann or... No, because it is just another spirit. Yeah, so did his sperm spirit, when he was alive, had some superiority complex, like, I'm the beast. Oh, this is when they have the whole scheme of... Literally, they tie a rope round Diane, round her waist, as she heads into the other side to rescue her daughter. And apparently the afterlife is filled with raspberry jelly. Well, that's what I said. Yeah, I thought you like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks, James. <laughs> You were talking about something else, but I described it as jelly. <laughs> Much like the slime, like Ghostbusters 2, I think. Ectoplasm. Mm. Obviously, yeah, it's ectoplasm, of course. But, yeah, the Freelands get their daughter back and wisely pack up to fucking leave, as you would. You would leave after all this. You would? Yeah. But they don't. They don't. They stay another night. Yeah. And... At this point, you're like... So the music throughout this is amazing. One I might just add. But you can tell now there's just some, like, eerie... It's very subtle, but it's just... You can tell there's something else that's going to happen. Can't you? Like, they're doing normal things now. Nothing's happening. Well, the, the, it's, gone, it's calmed right back down. The medium said this, like... What did she say? It's the cleansed. house is cleansed yeah, the or house clean is cleaned. Or, yeah. So they think, all right, I can relax. To such an extent that Robbie, even though he's packed most of his stuff, hasn't packed the creepy clown Oh, yet. yeah. <laughs> it's the first thing you pack. I mean, that'll be the first thing I'm throwing away. Creepy clown. Yeah, but they don't leave because, you know, they're stupid white people. It's always stupid white people in yeah. horror who don't leave the house... Yeah, and Diane decides to have a bath and dye her hair. Oh, yeah, because oh, yeah, after her ordeal going to the other side, she's got grey in her hair. Mm. And, yeah, I'm going to go back to the clown because this, this, is the, <laughs> this is like a child's nightmare. Like, this clown's staring at me. It's very on the nose that something's going to happen with the clown. Well, yeah, of course. I'm sure you noticed this, James, but this is the point where it really felt like a horror film yeah, for me. Literally the third act now. Because the... as soon as this clown, like uh, this clown scene, let's just call it the clown scene. <laughs> as soon as this started happening, I was hiding behind my hands. I know oh. I don't like clowns, but the music like made me feel like on edge. You could tell something was going to happen with this clown. And this kid is, like, peering over the side of the bed. Oh, let's see if it's underneath. No, not there. And I'm like, ah, fuck. 
no thanks. No, yeah, it's not just this is happening at the same time. Because even though I said like the face peeling scene felt out of place with the rest of the film, you've got Diane with like what a t-shirt and underwear on, mm. and she's basically sexually harassed by the poltergeist. Yeah, yeah. And then she's like, "Oh yeah," because this this whole third section is just. It's amped up a gear so crazy, isn't it? It's just, it's gone absolutely crazy because... Well, it's like Toby Hooper has been let off the leash. Like, you yeah. hired a guy who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you want to get your money's worth. Yeah. But then she's like, she's running around outside trying to get, like, screaming, like, oh, yeah, someone she, help me. She tries to get to her children and then the beast is at the door. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a little bit funny, though, because it's so not realistic. <laughs> yeah, it's like this dodgy puppet thing. I mean, some of the effects in this film would have been really good when it came out, but that bit, just no. Yeah, because like, at the same time, they've got this really great-looking, grisly, body-horror-type portal opening up in the wardrobe yeah. with all these tentacles crawling out. Yeah. And it's, like, throbbing and pulsating... And then you've got this clearly giant white ghost puppet thing <laughs> that does this lion's roar. Like, and she's like, ah, it's the beast. Yeah. So then she's like running around outside in her T-shirt and her knickers. And it's raining. Was it it's raining? raining. Yeah, it's raining. Yeah, it was pouring it down. And um, no one answers her. She falls into the hole where they're making the swimming pool. There's mud everywhere. She's she's slipping and sliding. And then she's in the muddy water. The slop. And all of these skeletons just pop up. Yeah, and they... you told me they were actually real. Yeah. Real skeletons. Basically, this is where the whole idea that Poltergeist is a cursed film. Because they used real skeletons in this scene during this production of this film. Allegedly, this attributed to this curse of this trilogy mean? of films. Okay, what do you mean about a curse? You didn't tell me anything about a curse. <laughs> okay, so Dominic Dunn, who played the eldest daughter, Dana, she died in on November the 4th, 1982, five months after the release of the first film. Right. After being strangled by her ex-boyfriend. He was convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to six years in prison only to be paroled after three and a half years, and she was only 22 years old. And then you had Heather O'Rook, who played Carol Ann. Mm-hmm. We've been saying it the whole, the whole wrong. Carol Ann. Carol yeah, Ann. It's, yeah. it's difficult to separate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, she played Carol Ann in all three films, but she, and then she died in 1982 at the age of 12 due to complications from an acute bowel obstruction. But this is 1982. This came out in 1982. Oh, sorry. 1988. So she died in 1988 at the age of 12. But these are just devastating series of events. We shouldn't link them to a curse. No, these things just happen. And here's the thing. The film industry regularly use real skeletons in their productions who were donated by the individual after their death. Exactly the same way that real skeletons are used in medical schools and... In science departments. I didn't know that was a thing. You know, like, they have skeletons. 
in science of art, literally they're standing up with like... Oh, yeah, I know that. They're skeletons, aren't they? They're real skeletons. Yeah, but I didn't know that real skeletons get used in films. I did know that. But after watching a documentary on Poltergeist, turns out, yeah, basically when, oh when bodies are donated, they can donate them. The individual can... I guess it's the individual before death donates their body to like the film industry or something. None of these places have ever reported being cursed. So it's just this another Hollywood myth that, oh, you dabble with the occult in these stories, you're going to get cursed. Mm. No, it's just a scumbag who murdered his ex-girlfriend, took a young woman's life and an unfortunate medical condition, which was unseen, killed a young girl. Okay, so something I really want to add about um, about this film is the soundtrack. So, Jerry Goldsmith, um, he did the score for this one. He is really keeping us on our toes, teasing us with anticipation with what will happen next. And, yeah, it's really chilling in places, this music. The climax is this third act. And this is where it all just... It gets unleashed. It's really complex and it's just, oh, it's just great. (laughs) I mean, I love film music anyway, but this soundtrack is just, it really adds to the film. He's like really layered up the emotions and the fright over the scenes. Well, it's a testament to how much we should never underestimate how much a film score contributes to the feeling that film is trying to invoke upon the audience. Yeah, Imagine this film without a soundtrack. It wouldn't have the same effect on it, would it? It wouldn't. It would, yeah, still great visually, but it wraps everything up, doesn't it? It just gives it this extra... It's all, I, I don't know how to explain it's it. It's all layers. It's, it's like, <laughs> what makes a good film, what makes a bad film? It's layers. It's, yeah. it's the story. It's the script writing. Mm-hmm. It's the direction it's the editing it's the soundtrack you have them all layered up perfectly like a delicious victoria sponge (laughs) and you've got yourself a great film but if you got one of those layers and you got it like slightly off center you didn't add enough cream or jam this is a weird metaphor no i like it keep going (laughs) but one of those is slightly off and the rest of the film the film cake topples mm. and you got a mess a eaten mess but not a delicious eaten mess of a film and i now want cake yeah and that's probably <laughs> that's probably why nobody talks about the Guys remake because wherever it is like most horror remakes forgettable it's a cash grab but clearly steven spielberg had a story he wanted to tell and then he gave it and put it on the lap of the right director and then got the right composer exactly yeah and then you've got a great film, another great film in this amazing year of cinema, 1982. And oh. we haven't even got to the end of the film yet. I know. Literally, you've got skeletons bursting out the ground, they get the children out, and then the whole street starts to erupt. <laughs> the house implodes as the Freemans leave. The end. Yep, pretty much. And they're probably a family who no longer have their settees centred around the TV anymore because they're not going to buy a TV again. Oh, no, because they go back to the um, the hotel and the dad's, like, pushing the TV out of the room. Like, bye-bye. <laughs> no thanks. They didn't resolve the problem because there's two sequels. Not at this point. Oh, they're not as good as the first one. No. I've never watched them. 
Well, me neither. This is the first time I've watched this film. Ah, but you liked it. Do you know what? I actually loved it. Yeah, okay, I didn't think it was a horror film for the majority of it. But I would watch it again. It's another example of where Stranger Things got their influence from. Mm. It's that it's that Ambien, or a, what's it? Amblin, Amblin, whatever. Steven Spielberg's production company in the 80s constantly churning out these great blockbuster films where, I keep emphasising it, they make you care about the characters first. Yeah, and we have to have that. You have to have some kind of connection with the characters because otherwise you just don't invest in the film. I think that's the problem with like new Hollywood now. They don't give time to invest in the characters before the main story kicks in. They're like, oh, people come here for the frights. People come here for the scares. Mm. People come here for the explosions and the special effects. No, we like that stuff if we're invested in the characters that all this stuff is happening to. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, we don't care. We're switched off. Should we wrap it up? I think so. You've been listening to Scaring Sam. I'm James. And I'm Sam. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Scaring Sam Pod. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> at Scaring Sam Pod. Big question mark. <laughs> I'm trying to speed through it. And you can contact us at scaringsampod at gmail.com. Stay, Stay safe, safe out there tonight. tonight.